Hey, everybody. This is Brian Zond. Welcome to my sermon podcast. Before we get into the sermon, though, I want to tell you about an online class coming up in November when everything's on fire. This is a class designed to help you navigate the pressure that sometimes comes upon you in the modern age trying to sustain Christian faith. I really think I can help you in that process. And so here's what it's going to be. Monday nights in November, the live classes are from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central. I'll present for about an hour, and then we'll have 30 minutes of Q&A. But you don't have to participate in the live classroom to uh, be a part of this. You can uh, access the recordings with a donation of any amount. So a donation of any amount gets you into the class. And uh, if you need more information or you're ready to register, go to wolc.com slash fire for the When Everything's on Fire online class in November. All right, this morning, I want to preach on the hidden chamber. And I'm going to begin, I'm going to begin with some Shakespeare. I know, I know, I know. You're already put off. It's a little shaky, starting with Shakespeare, you're thinking. Well, just stick with me, just stick with me. Um, Shakespeare's play, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which was first performed in 1606, is a damning indictment upon those ambitious souls that forsake all goodness and decency in their maniacal pursuit of political power. That's more or less what it's about. So toward the end of the play, when the treacherous and murderous Macbeth hears of the untimely death of his equally ambitious and murderous wife, he famously says, out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. For Macbeth, this man of boundless political ambition, life is in the end a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Well, of course, I don't believe that. I don't believe that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Uh, life is not a game to win or lose. Life is a gift. The purpose of life is not to win. The purpose of life is to learn how to love well. But if, like Macbeth, we think of life as a blood sport where we must win at all cost, then indeed... Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That line has resonance with me. I mean, when I sat down yesterday to write this sermon, that was the first line that came to my mind. I thought, okay, I want to start there. 
full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, because right now there's a lot of, let's say it this way, a lot of noise and fury that signifies little more than more noise and fury. Fury, fury. That's, a, that's, a word, that's an apt word that describes the mood of our current moment. Fury. Fury is a, uh, fury means, the definition is wild, violent anger. Fury, wild, violent anger. In Greek mythology, the furies, this is where we get this, the furies were underworld deities wreaking vengeance. In other words, Christians would call them demons. Fury is not from God. Fury is demonic. And fury indeed makes life a tale told by an idiot. Full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So we live in an epoch of rage and fury. Even to the extent that rage and fury are often esteemed as virtuous. I mean, we are regularly told by the self-righteous priests of rage and fury what we must be enraged and furious about lest we be accused of being complicit with evil. Now, because of our limitless capacity for awareness of global injustices, it seems that we're now required to have perpetual rage and fury. But on this Lord's Day, I want to bring you a word from elsewhere. A soul-saving word from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. Sometimes you find a scripture that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the vision of soul and are able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting the people of God to abandon the fray of fury and sequester themselves for a time in the hidden chamber of prayer. If nothing else, this word gives you permission to walk away from the insanity of perpetual rage. You're not, you're not built for that. You can't stand up under that strain. Understand that we, that we have systems of media around us that is, it is advantageous for them to continue to try to implant into your soul deep levels of rage and fury. 
But you can't stand that strain. If you cultivate perpetual rage and fury, it will do untold damage to your faith, hope, and love. It'll steal your faith. It'll dash your hope. It'll quench your love. You'll end up an angry person. Not one of faith, hope, and love. So come, my people. Enter your chambers. Shut the door behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while. Until the fury is passed by. This reminds me, and it may remind you as well, of something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to look at that. So Isaiah 26, 20 reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. King James says, reward you openly, and I like that. The hidden chamber that Isaiah invites us to enter into until the fury is past is the secret place of prayer where Jesus says you will find open reward. Go into the secret place of prayer. You don't have to tell anybody about it. You don't have to make it a big show of it. Just go in there, shut the door, and pray to your heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally. Make your requests known. Pray to the Father in secret, and he will reward you openly. Now, the open reward may not be an immediate altering of events and circumstances. I know, I know we always want that. That's what we want to happen. We want to pray, and then, bang, everything's changed externally. But those of you that are graduates of prayer school, you know the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. And so the open reward may not immediately be the alteration, the alleviation of external events and circumstances, but it will be the gift of the Holy Spirit and the peace that passes understanding. Jesus said that the Father will always give you the Holy Spirit, the holy attitude the heavenly way of perceiving things that suddenly make it more bearable. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what will be given to you. When peace can be found nowhere else, Peace can be found in the hidden chamber of prayer. And how much is peace worth? It's worth everything. I mean, it, it just pause for a moment. What do you really want? I mean, among the things you desire the most is simply to have some peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul. And when peace can be found nowhere else, it can be found in the hidden chamber of prayer. As you know, 
Um, Perry and I spent the entire month of October in Spain and Portugal. And we were there to walk a fourth Camino de Santiago for the fourth time. This time, you know, from Porto, Portugal. Just a little short one, just 160 miles. And he said, well, why do you keep going back and doing that? You know, we were there in 2019 and now we've gone back. We were there, what, 2018, 20. We were there 2016, 2018, 2019, and 2023. Why do we keep going back? Because it's good for our souls. It's good just to, to reduce our lives to the blessed simplicity of just journeying toward a pilgrim destination, moving never faster than foot speed, letting the world slow down all around us and within us. Okay, within us. So, you know, as long as we're able, we'll probably keep doing that. Not every year, but, you know, when we can. And so we're there in Spain and Portugal, and Perry had brought with her a prayer that was for our time in Spain, Portugal, walking the Camino. It's a prayer that comes from the Spanish mystic, St. Teresa of Avila. She lived 1515 to 1582. Very influential. She was a, a Spanish mystic, but also a religious reformer and one of the good ones. She's a saint. And she had this prayer that, that uh, Perry shared with me, and I memorized it, and I've been praying it ever since. I thought we would just use it on the Camino, but now it just worked its way into my morning prayer liturgy and probably will be there forever. The prayer of Teresa of Avila. It goes like this. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Oh man, yeah. That's that good. Let nothing disturb you. It became our little mantra. You know, when one of us would be bothered about this, that, or the other thing, one of us would say that, let nothing disturb you. <laughs> let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. So that was our prayer on the Camino, but now it's the prayer on my Camino that is my life. Now, this wisdom, the wisdom we see here in St. Teresa's prayer, uh, this wisdom could only have come from one who has spent much time with God in the hidden chamber. It would not come from anywhere else. And by the way, I do not expect the world to accept or understand this wisdom. In fact, I expect the world, I mean the world system, 
the world arranged by and for the advantage of the principalities and powers who accomplish much of what they do through stoking perpetual rage and fear. I do not expect them to understand or accept it. Let nothing disturb you. They will say, oh no, we've got a list of things to disturb you. You should be disturbed by this, this, this. You must be disturbed by this. Let nothing frighten you. Oh no, we're going to frighten you all right. That's how we control you. We're going to frighten you. All things are passing away. The mind of the world would see the transitory nature of life as something negative, that there's no permanence in this life. But the Christian sees it a different way. That there's a blessedness in it. That we don't have to try to hold on to everything in this life because all things are passing away. God never changes. That's the one constant that we have. All things are passing away, but God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Well, that's the opposite of the way of the world, which is the way of war, because war is the ultimate impatience. I've become personally convinced that patience is essentially wisdom. When I think of moments in my life where perhaps I enacted some wisdom, it could also be described as patience. More easily, when I recall the moments of foolishness in my life, they're almost all moments of impatience. Patience has to do with trust. And that is that we can trust God in God's time to bring to us what we need. But we resent God's timing. We want our own timing. And so we become impatient and we try to force the issue and it's called foolishness. And it leads to all manner of untold troubles. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. God never changes. See, part of the brilliance of this prayer is that everything, it places God at the center and all the rest of our life revolves around God. Now the world will let let you have God in your life, but God must occupy not the center. That is the agenda of the principalities and powers must occupy the center. No, no, no. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Again, I don't expect the world to accept, understand that or accept it. But as a Christian, I absolutely believe that. The furies, the furies, those, those underworld deities wreaking vengeance, the furies want you perpetually agitated, but this is contrary to all spiritual wisdom. Much fury comes from a pride that takes too much upon itself, namely the pride of thinking that we have the calling and capacity to change the world. I talked about this last Sunday. I'm going to talk about it a little bit again. To change the world is not our job. It's not our our job. Jesus is the savior of the world, not us. Our task is much more humble, much more modest. 
Our task is simply to be that part of the world already changed by Jesus. That's enough. That's enough. Because if you take it upon yourself, no, 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 it's not enough for me to be just to inhabit and belong to that part of the world already changed by Jesus. I must directly change the world. You know what you'll be? Impatient. And in impatience, you will act foolishly. Somebody says, yeah, but sometimes we do change the world. Sometimes. And when we do change the world, it comes mostly through small and hidden ways. Not through the grandiose. Not through the big and bombastic, but through small and hidden ways. And that reminds me of something that Jesus said in his chapter of parables, Matthew 13, verse 33. Jesus said, he he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The only thing Jesus ever talked about was the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, that is the kingdom that comes from heaven. The kingdom that is the radical alternative to the way the world is. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That a woman, yes, a woman. Kingdom of heaven is like a woman doing something. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid And three measures of flour until all was leavened. She hid it. I I like that. She hid it. Now, I know know some of the translations, you know, no, it means she mixed. Well, the word is hid. She hid it. She secretly hid it in there. I understand. I understand. She's, she's, She's making bread. I get it. And she's putting yeast, you know, into the flour. I get it. But Jesus knows what he's talking about. She says she hid it. She hid the leaven in the flour until the change came about. Small and quiet, but steady and true. It's, it's the miracle of fermentation. That's what that leaven says. It's, it's the miracle of fermentation. It's how water turns to wine. It's the miracle of fermentation. What Jesus did at Cain of Galilee was just to speed it up. But every bottle of wine is a miracle. You've just gotten used to it, that it's not every, every loaf of bread, every bottle of wine is a miracle. It's the miracle of fermentation. Jesus just calls your attention to it by on one occasion at a wedding, speeding up the process. The miracle of fermentation. We change the world as... As bread rising. So aspire to live a perhaps smaller, quieter life. Because the kingdom of heaven changes the world like leaven, like yeast, not like a bulldozer. That's impatience. Your capacity, because of the technological age in which we live, your capacity for the awareness of the woes of the world is nearly global. But your capacity to truly care and really make a difference is very local. So hide your leaven of love and kindness in the three measures that are near you. 
you're not going to influence Vladimir Putin or Hamas or Benjamin Netanyahu. You can flatter yourself that somewhere, somewhere, you know, an aide is walking into Benjamin Netanyahu and say, oh, Mr. President, Mr. Prime Minister, Brian Zahn just tweeted. <laughs> what I can do is hide kingdom leaven of love and kindness in the three measures of meal that are just right around me. And right here, sort of, change the world. That's how we will change the world, and it's enough. And no fury need be involved. I'm so mad at this dough, it will rise here to exist for some yeast. You don't have to do that. Just hide it in there. Just, just bring the yeast to the flour, and it'll do its miraculous thing. You don't have to be enraged about it. If you will spend time with God in the hidden chamber of prayer, you may make the most amazing discovery. The discovery that despite the horrors and injustice of this world, life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. And no one has a more hard-earned right to make this claim than Eti Halisim. You don't know about Eddie Halisum. I like this picture of her. Eddie Halisum, you can tell she's thoughtful, smart, clever. You just get that from that picture. She was a Dutch, Jewish, religious thinker, spiritual mystic. And she died at age 29 in Auschwitz. Eddie Halisum did not survive Auschwitz. But her diary did. And in one memorable passage of her diary, Eddie Halisum writes, Sometimes, when I stand in some corner of the camp, understand, she's writing this in Auschwitz. Sometimes, when I stand in some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised toward your heaven. Tears sometimes run down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude, and I want to be there right in the thick of what people call horror and still be able to say, life is beautiful. Yes, I lie here in a corner parched and dizzy and feverish and unable to do a thing. Yet, I am with the jasmine and the peace of sky beyond my window. For once you have begun to walk with God, you need only keep on walking with God and all of life becomes one long stroll. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. Just walk with God and make life one long stroll. Yes, Teresa of Avila and Eti Elysium are spiritual sisters, no doubt about that. 
When we really walk with God, we eventually learn the great secret that life is beautiful. What a radical thing to say. In Auschwitz. In Auschwitz. So somebody, you know, life is beautiful. Oh, that's, that's your privilege talking. She said it as a Jew in Auschwitz. You can't take that away from her. The devil doesn't like this sermon. Beelzebub. So life is beautiful. Write that in your diary in Auschwitz. What a radical thing to say. What a radical thing to do. And yet, Eddie Halisum said it. But someone will protest. Well, yeah, but, but Eddie Halisum died at Auschwitz. Yes, she did. But that's not the end of her story. Let's, let's, let's just go back to where we started. Let's go back. We're about done here. Let's go back to Isaiah 26, verse 20, where we started. Come, my people, into your chambers and shut the door behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the furious pass by. Now, let's just back up just, just one verse. Let's back up to the preceding verse. Keep Eddie Elysium in mind. You dead shall live. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. The most beautiful thing that I've learned by being with God in the hidden chamber of prayer as, is that Jesus Christ is the risen one who raises the dead ones. That despite the horrors, despite so much that is disturbing, we are moving toward the culmination of this, toward Jesus Christ the risen one, raising the dead ones. And so believing this, we can hide ourselves for a little while with God in Christ until the fury passes. Amen. Stand up with me. And now... We come to the table of the Lord. We come to the moment where Jesus Christ shares with us his life. He gives us his life that is the life of God. Eternal life. The life of the age to come. We partake in it now. We participate in it now. So we're going to invite everybody in a moment to come. And we'll have uh, bread and we'll say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece of it. Someone will have a cup and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and participate in the life of Christ. All right, let's prepare our hearts first by confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive the Lord's pardon. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.